0: Amen. Last week, you know, we've been on this series about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And I've been very upfront and very honest and very transparent that this is a walk that I have been going through over the last couple of years. And I explained that, you know, I've been saved now for 42 years, and for 40 of those years I did not believe In the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were never active in my life. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I began to realize there was something that I was missing in my walk with Christ. Does that mean I wasn't passionate? Does that mean I wasn't effective? No, I'm here to tell you for 40 years I grew in Christ. I grew in the knowledge of His Word, and the very application of that knowledge promises us that we'll grow. Because the Word never returns void, ever. So if you just ingest His Word, it's never going to return void. But see, it couldn't help if I kept ingesting it, if I opened myself up to the leading of God, to be led by Him, to want Him to reign in my life, it could not help but lead me to the point where I am today. See, because what I realized is there was a piece of my relationship with Jesus Christ that I was missing. It was that very interactive piece that He promises, and we've been going through this for a couple of weeks. And we're going to go into what they are starting next week. But I want to finish... This idea of the debate, the debate between cessationism and continuationism, which is believing that the gifts ceased back with the death of the apostles or the culmination of the the gospel or the the, um, canon of the scripture versus continuationism, meaning that the gifts never ceased, but they are active and alive today. Last week, remember, we, we uh, started this debate portion, and in my years, in the last two years in this study, I took my history, I took what I believed, and then I also studied further about cessationism. This was the path that I took to prove this out in my own life. See, I didn't go to it with the fact that, well, let me see if if they're correct, it was, I know what I believe, let me prove out what I believe. Let me search in scripture and see if I, if believing what I believe is correct. So what I put together, and as he started to show me the differences, I, I put together all the arguments that I could find, one that I used, and two that, that your, you know, cessationist groups use, and I came up with nine things. Nine reasons why the gifts are no longer valid today. Remember last week, now two of those were what they took out of scripture. Okay, and and I'm not going to go through that whole thing again. That's in last week's, if you want to listen to the podcast, if you don't remember, if you weren't here. But there were two scriptural reasons And then there were seven, what I call logical reasons, where they used a logical argument in the Word of God and said, well, because of this and this and this, it means that they're not for today. And we went through the first one of that last week, okay? And so we're going to go through the other six today, and I, I really intend and hope and plan to finish this today. So we're we're going to really cross our fingers on this one, and I do want to mention to you though, um, in these this was research that again I, I've done over the last couple of years for for the college group that's been with me for a couple of years. You've been on this walk with me. I've been very transparent every step of the way from the point where I was a cessationist to the point where I changed. And and so some of this is review for you guys. I get that. But for many of us, it's not. And it's important to understand this. So, so as I put this together, I also put it together in a way that would allow people to read this without me actually being there and preaching it. The intent at that at that point when I put it together was to have it available online. Or if somebody had a question, I could give them this printout. Okay, so how I'm going to go through some of this is to read some of what I came up with. Okay, and and I I want to say again, what is the basis for what we do here? Acts 17.11, right? It is that you take this information and you prove it out yourself. So I want you to make sure that you are taking down these scripture references, taking down these thoughts and then proving them out yourself. Digging in the word yourself. Proving out what it is. So let's go ahead and dig in. And we're going to go through the second logical reason that the cessationist uses to say that the gifts are no longer for today. The second reason is the end of the gift of apostleship. Okay? Two places... In the New Testament, and this, this I'm taking right out of John MacArthur's uh, uh, information. Two places, which by the way, John MacArthur is, is a cessationist, one of the leading of that group. Okay? Two places in the New Testament refers to the apostles as one of the gifts Christ gave to the church. 1 Corinthians 12.28 and Ephesians 4.11. The gift of the apostleship to the church was a temporary gift. There are no more people like the original apostles. We know that new apostles won't appear since Paul specifically says he was the last apostle. That's in 1 Corinthians 15.8. 1 Corinthians 15.8 There are three qualifications of an apostle. One, to be an eyewitness of the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and to be appointed and sent by Christ. They were given the authority to perform miracles. You see that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. According to these qualifications, there is no one alive today who would qualify to be an apostle as the original apostles were. The gift of apostleship disappeared after the original apostles' death. This would indicate a major change in the gifting of the spirit between then and now. Okay, that's the cessationist view. That was taken directly out of MacArthur's study. However, there is evidence in scripture that distinguishes several classes of apostles. And I'll tell you one thing that that started to get at me in studying this is the fact that that much of the Word of God, okay, specifically Ephesians, was written in AD 60, right around there. Okay, and the last of the apostles died some 30 years, 35 years or whatever later. And I have a hard time believing that God would put something in Scripture knowing that that would not even be put together for another couple hundred years for something that would only last another 30 to 40 years. See, that didn't make sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you. But why would God include something in Scripture that did not apply to us today? See, I believe everything in Scripture applies to us today. We have to understand what scripture is saying in that. And I think that even in this example, we're going to see evidence of that. See, in scripture, there are evidences of other classifications of the apostle. Okay, if if I would agree with them, if there were only the 13 apostles, right, if there were only the well, the original 11 plus the one that they replaced Judas with, and then Paul. If those were the only apostles, I would agree with them. However, there are different classifications in the word of God of, of apostles. Let's go through some of them. First of all, there's the great apostle, right? That is Jesus Christ. He was the greatest apostle sent to represent Father. Remember, he said he did not represent himself. He came to this earth to represent the Father. He was the greatest apostle. Okay, there was none like him. No one matched him. Okay, then you have the twelve apostles, right? Or the eleven, and then they uh, in in Acts, beginning of Acts, they they uh, replaced Judas. These were special disciples that Jesus selected to serve in his earthly ministry. Okay, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was replaced. And then all 12 were sent out to begin the church. That's in Acts chapter 1. As apostles, they were not infallible as Jesus was. In fact, Paul rebuked Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Okay, So these apostles were not perfect like Jesus was. This is a different classification of apostle. Already a different classification than the great apostle, than Jesus Christ. Another note, the twelve were not apostles chosen only to write inspired scripture. Many of them did not write any of the scripture. That's an important note. Their role was to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. So you have that classification of, of apostle. But now you have another one, because you have Paul. Paul wasn't part of that initial group. Paul's calling was very different than theirs. So you have a, another classification of apostle. Paul called himself the last apostle, and did not consider himself even worthy to be an apostle. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 7-9. through 9. And if you're writing these down because I'm not turning to all these to to try and go through this, but I want you to look these up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7 through 9. Paul was the last to to see the risen Christ and be sent as an apostle. So he was a different classification. If you remember his calling, right? He was a different classification of apostle. But then... Even with that, you could say, well, okay, yeah, but they, they all were, you know, even, even Paul was sent by Christ. I mean, Christ came and appeared before him and everything else. Okay, but then you have a problem when you start to see other apostles in the Word of God. And that's this last classification that I'm going to use, other apostles. This group of apostles are those who Jesus called and sent, who were not necessarily witnesses of his ascension. Some say that Paul was the buffer between this group. Paul was kind of the hybrid between this group and the twelve apostles. Some of these called apostles include, and, I, and I'm gonna, I'll say these slow so you can write them down, because I want you to look these up. I want you to prove this out for yourself. Some of these called apostles include Barnabas, Acts chapter 14. Timothy, Colossians chapter 1. Silas, compare 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 2.6 for Silas. Andronicus and Junia, Romans 16, verse 7. By the way, a, a side note there, and this will really trip you up, and, and a very interesting thing. Junia was a female. What? Female apostle. What's that? No? Look it up. I'm not going to rabbit trail here, but look into that. Junia was, was a woman. A female apostle. But that is for another discussion. I'm not going to deal with that right now. Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, verse 25. Sosthenes, 1 Corinthians 1, 1. Apollos, 1 Corinthians 4, 9. Paul's team of brothers, 2 Corinthians 8.23, there's so many of these. Okay, Now, it's something to note in this, in 2 Corinthians 8.23, the word messengers is what you're going to read there. But in the Greek, that's the same word as apostles. So if you're looking in, in the word of God, get to the original Greek. We're talking about the same word that was used for the original twelve. So there is a different classification for these apostles than there was the original apostles. Okay, that's important to note. MacArthur explains that the apostles were equated with the church's foundation, and there's no need for any further foundation to be laid. I would acknowledge that there is no need to further lay a foundation for the universal church. The bodies of believers do need a foundation laid in them. Apostles, outside of Christ, the twelve and Paul, simply point us back to apostolic doctrine. Not laying a new foundation, but establishing a new foundation in us. See, the gifting of the apostle was for the furthering of the saints. It was for not just laying the foundation, because that was unique to the original apostles. They laid the foundation of the church. They not only did that, but they laid the foundation of writing the Word of God. However, that doesn't mean that those things don't need to be laid in people's hearts today. I don't know about you, but when somebody gets saved, I've never seen somebody automatically have the knowledge of that foundation, right? That's why we have churches. That's why we have discipleship programs. That's why we have relationships to teach the word of God. See, there is a gifting of the apostle to do just that job. So number three, okay, this is the third reason, a logical Explanation that they use for cessation. The foundational nature of the New Testament apostle and prophets. Paul identifies the New Testament apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church. You find that in Ephesians 2, chapter 20. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 20. In other words, they were there to basically produce what we know of today as the word of God. We just spoke about this a moment ago. Once the apostles and prophets finished their role in laying the foundation of the church, the gifts were complete. Okay, this is a cessationist view. I want to read a quote by Thomas Schreiner, who is who's another cessationist that you'll find all throughout the internet. He says, I conclude that all we need to know for salvation and sanctification has been given to us through the teaching of the apostles and prophets. And that this teaching is now found in the scriptures. Now that God has spoken in the last days through his Son, we see that in Hebrews 1, we don't need further words from him to explain what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his ministry, death, and resurrection. First of all, I've got to tell you, I, I agree with that. I agree that we do not need anything else but What the word of God teaches us. But what we miss out on. Is the interaction of relationship. Now keep in mind. They didn't have the word of God. Readily available to them. Okay. They didn't have what we have today. You can have a person today get saved. Have a Bible. Dig into the Bible. And learn about Jesus Christ. See, back then we didn't have that. They didn't have. They would have to go somewhere, go to a synagogue or something else. But what they are really hung up on is this idea of new revelation, okay? And and that's really the the reason for this argument that that in reality the scriptures were already written, so apostles and prophets prophesying. You know, there is no need for new revelation. And I want to make it really clear I agree with that. I, do, I believe that the that there is no new revelation being written today. Jesus Christ gave us everything we need in his word. These 66 books by over 40 authors, they give us everything we need to grow in Christ. Everything that we need to enhance our relationship with him. There's no further need of revelation. And what I mean by that is God-breathed, God-inspired scripture. There's no need for that. I'm in full agreement. And the thing is, most, charism- most in the charismatic movement are in agree- agreement with that. That is something that I used to think was a, a stronghold that, well, I, I don't believe them because they're just prophesying and it's they think it's the word of God. They're going to listen to that over the scripture. That's not what most believe. I came to learn that most do not believe that it's new revelation. How And we're going to get into this a little bit, but what they believe is that God is having conversation with them that then goes back to the Scripture. See, everything has to go back and agree with Scripture. That's why we were given Scripture. Everything we do, every every prophecy we hear, everything that happens... Needs to line up with scripture. Why? Because it's our baseline. That's the foundation. You know, Paul said, I laid a foundation. You don't need to relay the foundation. You build upon the foundation. So we build upon the principles in the Word of God. That is done through application. Okay, the, the Word of God does not tell me to go to Nigeria. Okay, I, I can't find it in there. How am I supposed to go to Nigeria? You know, How am I supposed to know that? I know that because the Holy Spirit tells me that. I, know that. I know that because the relationship that I have with Him, with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, He can speak to me. He can tell me, I need you to go there, and then I take that and I prove it to the Word of God. Okay, am I supposed to go to Nigeria? Well, okay. Matthew 28 says I am. Matthew 28 says that I'm supposed to make disciples of all the world. So if, if I feel that the Holy Spirit is telling me to go somewhere specific, I need to receive that. Is that new revelation? Is that new word of God, God-breathed, inspired scripture that applies to everybody? No. No. I never... I and And most... Most people that believe in the gifts don't believe that. However, is it the Holy Spirit speaking something directly to me that applies to me? Yes. How else do you know? How else would I know that this church was supposed to be begun if it weren't the Holy Spirit that spoke to me about it? Unless I were going to do it in my own strength. That's going down a whole different road. Oftentimes, when we know the Word of God, and we know it in terms of knowledge, we don't really have the application, but we know the knowledge, we get in trouble because then we decide what we're supposed to do. We decide, well, I know that I'm supposed to do this. Why? It says it in the Word of God, so I'm going to choose to apply it this way. You run a risk if you're applying that yourself. You run a risk if you are not developing a relationship through the Holy Spirit who can speak to you, who can tell you this is how you apply what that verse says in your specific life. And by the way, that will never go against Scripture. Ever. He would never tell me to go over there and hate those people. (laughs) Right? If he said, you know, go over there because the Nigerians are not my people and we just need to hate on them. Okay, there's something wrong there. I know that sounds ridiculous, but the point is everything he says would agree with scripture. No, so he's told me to go over there out of love. Right? But that's how we apply him speaking to us. So I want to make this point that it is not about new revelation. That is a really, really key thing to get and to understand. Deuteronomy 18 tells us how we know if a prophecy is of God or not. How do we know? It comes true. If a prophecy comes true, it's of God. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 18. This is a strong reason for cessationists, as I said, to not believe in any of the gifts and then manipulate scripture to suit their fears. This is basically throwing the baby out with bathwater. It might be healthier to figure out why this might happen so that we can discern what God might be saying to us. There are several reasons why someone's prophetic word may be wrong, including the fact that that person may not actually have been given the gift. Don't assume that because you're saved, oh, well, now I get to speak in prophecy. Whatever I feel, I can say, and that must be prophecy. It's not. And by the way, we are to discern that. Okay, let's say, however, that someone has a gift of prophecy and is wrong. And and this I want you to get this. This is a key element that people use to say, well, no, that gift can't be right. When someone is learning to hear the Holy Spirit, there is a learning process in differentiating between the Holy Spirit's voice and your own internal voice. I want to give you evidence in Scripture of that. Even Samuel did not recognize at first the voice of God. He recognized a voice, and he, he would get up and Go to Eli and, yeah, we need to hear Samuel, right? You all know that. If you want to look that up, that's in 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is why we are told to test the spirits to know if they are, if they are of God. I want you to write down these two references. 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 3. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. And John 16, 1. 13 to 14. Those are two references that talk about how you test spirits, how you know the origin of a spirit. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago that we live in a spirit world. We don't live in the three-dimensional plus time world that we know, that we see in this place right now. The real reality is that we live in a spirit-filled world in a world that we cannot see with our own eyes. So it's important to understand what the basis of somebody's prophecy is. I remember the first time I, I had a person prophesy into me. And I'll tell you, it was weird. It, this was before I believed in the gifts. And, and this, this lady said to me that uh, uh, she said some things about me which I don't know how in the world she knew that. You know, at the time, I'm thinking, how in the world do you know that? And then she said something that would happen in the future. And honestly, I, I was very nice to her because as worship leader, you kind of run across different types of people and you have to be nice to everybody. <laughs> so I was nice to her and I just kind of left that one alone. By the third time that happened, I started to wonder, okay, Lord, what's going on? In my 40 years of... of of being a Christian and having a relationship. This never happened before. And now all of a sudden, inside of, you know, a little over a month, it's happened three times. What's going on? And then I start talking, and, and I've told this story before about, about people that that I knew, which began to open my eyes up to something that I was missing. However, this prophecy, okay, now let when you hear someone speak into you that, And now it's happened probably 40 to 50 times for me. Do I take that as the word of God? No. I'd be foolish to do that. Not only that, but I'd be wrong according to scripture. Because those two scriptures that I I just said, said test the spirits. Right? Test the origin of where that information comes from. Because there's a warfare out there. There's a battle out there. And... The enemy, Satan, he loves to come across like an angel of light. He likes to be a confederate to what we are, a a fake. But yet he can look really real. So this is something that, that, in a cessationist view, was just easier to say, it's wrong. And I don't know about you in your life, I know a lot of people, that are like that. It's not something I can control. It's not something that I really fully understand, so I'll lock it down. Lock it down, not worry about it. Boom, done, nice, clean, neat. I don't have to worry about that. That's the typical reaction. That was my reaction for 40 years. I understand that mind frame because you're opening up up a box that really is shifting control to God. And that's a scary thing. See, I, I think I told you part of my testimony where I like control. I went through something my freshman year of college that made me decide I don't want to have to feel like that ever again. My answer was, control it. Control it. See, that's what happens when you cut the gifts of the Spirit out in your life, is you're controlling your life through manipulation of the Scripture. You're taking this very relationship that's supposed to be interactive, and you're cutting out the interactive part. You're cutting out the way that God can work through His God-breathed Scripture. See, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, the Word is alive. The Word is is not just words on a page. It's not just books that we can go to, like in a library. And okay, what do I do? Okay, yeah, I gotta gotta do that. That's what. Okay, good. I got that knowledge. I'm good. And how many times have you read a, a particular scripture? A hundred times, and then that hundred and first time, you saw it for what it really was. See, that's God breathed. That's relationship. That is allowing the interactive part of our relationship to be there. And that's the Holy Spirit. So, the prophecy isn't bad. You have to know the origin. And I can tell you since then, since I learned how to differentiate from what, since that was coming, I've been able to see how it applies to Scripture. I've been able to see how the Holy Spirit is leading me, and that's how we started this church. I had no plan, no clue that God would want me to start a church. I thought I'd be a worship pastor for the rest of my life, and I loved it. That was what I wanted to do. But the Holy Spirit, as I began to open up my relationship to him and it became interactive, he started applying what I knew intellectually, applying it to my heart. See, he's the only one that can do that. We can, in our own strength, toe a tight line. We can walk a straight line in our own strength and feel like we're doing what God wants. See, but that's not what he asked. He asked for us to give him control. See, when we're walking that line, that means we're going our own direction. Now, yeah, we're we're circling it around the word of God. And the knowledge that I have in the word... We're circling it around that, but yet I still control that direction. It wasn't until I said, Lord, you take it, whatever you want. I want you to start church. What? Didn't expect that. But I've seen how the Lord intended that in my life. That was because there was an interaction with the Holy Spirit. Number four: the nature of the New Testament miraculous gifts. If the Spirit was still moving as He was in the beginning of the Church Age, then you would then you would expect the gifts to be the same today as they were then. At Pentecost, the gift of tongues were existing and understandable languages that were spoken. The New Testament gift given to the apostles was speaking in a known and recognizable language, not an ecstatic language like you see in tongues today. Okay, as far as the nature of New Testament gifts, let's recognize that something given to us by God is still dependent upon people allowing God to work it through them. See, God doesn't do, he doesn't do stuff without people. That was the whole premise in how he set this this life up. He said, I'm going to work through people. See, that's why he had to sacrifice his son. Because there were no perfect people. And when we fell, there was no way to be redeemed. Except for the Son of God coming and becoming a person. Becoming a man and living a perfect life. Okay? So what they said here, again, at Pentecost, the gift of tongues were existing in understandable languages that were spoken. I want to point something out in terms of that. First of all, I am in full agreement with that. I don't see in the word of God that tongues were some battle. Okay? Okay? I, I, I see in the Word of God every time you see tongues it was tongues, it was another language, another known language. Okay, however, go Google this, it'll blow your mind. There are almost seven thousand known languages in the world. Seven thousand. Now you take those languages, and I know this because of Nigeria specifically. Each language has dialects, especially in Africa. There are almost 40,000, 40,000 different dialects, okay? Who am I to say what is Babel and what's not? I don't know all those. I can't even learn Spanish. (laughs) So I know none of those, all right? So, So I can't determine what is Babel and what isn't. However, the Word of God recognizes these as languages. But it says, not language that you know. It's, it's not like, like I'm given the gift of tongues and all of a sudden now I could speak Spanish. Which, by the way, I prayed for the last trip I had. I thought, Lord, this would be so nice if I could just preach in Spanish. Not have to use the interpreter. He didn't answer that one. Maybe next time. Okay, but... He does this for a reason. Why? To show his glory. To show his glory. Think about what happened at Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost, they're in this upper room. Right? Remember, we went over a couple couple of weeks ago that, that, that Jesus breathed into his disciples the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. So they already had the Holy Spirit. But then right after that, before he ascended, he said, wait in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. What? I thought we already got him. No. He said the Holy Spirit will come in power. So they were in the upper room, and they were there for up to ten days in the upper room, right? And what are they doing there? They're praying. What are they praying for? I would imagine praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Praying for the very thing they're waiting for. This power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? Read it. He comes. And in Acts chapter 2, they look around and they see these licks of fire going around the room. First of all, they hear this rushing wind. They hear this amazing sound of something coming in. And then they see these, these lines of fire that then rest on each person in there. And each person that they rest upon starts speaking in tongues. Speaking in a known language. Not known to them, but in a known language. So what happened? It drew people. People came. You know that because that day, 3,000 people got saved. There weren't 3,000 people in the upper room. Okay, They weren't with 3,000 people when the Holy Spirit fell. So it drew the people in. Why does Jesus Christ give us gifts? Why does the Father give us gifts through the Holy Spirit? It's to draw people to Him. It's for the idea that they are a gift to the church to build the body of Christ. Do you think that day the body of Christ was built? It was significantly added to 3,000 people in one day. Now, there's some other things about Pentecost that is really interesting. You know, we love this idea of control. We love this idea, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, of, of, well, God would never do anything that, that would make us look silly or make us look ridiculous. However, what he did at Pentecost People saw, and, and that's exactly what they thought. They thought it was ridiculous because they thought that they were drunk. That's why Peter came and said, no, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where you get this term, drunk in the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, I don't like that term. Even as a cessationist, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, they just like to drink. You know, <laughs> I equate it with that. However, what it was, was being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Why are we afraid of being controlled by God? The only thing that should make us fear is that it is God. But see, he gives us scripture to show us how to know that it's God. When when someone prophesies into your life, speaks a word of knowledge into your life, you have a way of testing that. When when you hear a voice inside your head, and, and I don't know, maybe I could take a raise of hands. How many hear voices? I don't know that you'd admit that. Okay, but I'm sure everybody at times does. How do I know that's of God? See, that's what the Word gives us. It gives us a template to apply it to. We don't have to be afraid of God's control. He gives us a way of knowing that it's God. We're so afraid of being controlled by something not good that we cut it all off. I'm not going to let him into my life this way because the risk is too great. But you know what? The risk is too great by not letting him in. We're not talking about salvation here, folks. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about relationship with Jesus Christ, how he wants to invade every part of our lives. When we don't let him because we want to control it, it breaks his heart. I can imagine him standing there and just saying, if you only knew, if you only knew what I want to do in your life, if you only knew that if you trusted me with the control, I'd open your eyes. I'd show you things you've never seen. I'd speak to you in a way that you would know it's me. And I'd blow you away. See, that's what he offers. It's it's exactly that passionate walk with Jesus Christ. See, that's where the real passion comes from. It's not passion that we just decide to have because He's saved us and He's done some really great things in our life. That passion comes because He's revealed Himself. If you hear me pray for very long at all, you hear me pray that very prayer. God, reveal Yourself a little bit more. Just another piece of You. Reveal that to me. Reveal that to these people. Why? Because that's relationship. That takes the control from us and gives it to Him. Number five. And I'm... Skipping some of this here. I, I, I will probably make this available online um, because some of this I I just don't have time to go through, but I think it would be good for, for everyone to have it. You know, let let me let me do before I go on to number five, let me let me say this about prophecy. What about the gift of prophecy? The Bible does not distinguish prophecy between the old and the new testament. Okay, it never does that. Just as the Old Testament prophets spoke, and, and this, is, this is what the cessationist believes. Okay, what I'm reading here right now. Okay, Bible does not distinguish prophecy between Old and New Testaments. Just as the Old Testament prophets spoke direct, infallible revelation from God, so did the New Testament prophets. It had to be checked and approved before it was added to biblical revelation. Today, however, prophecy is understood differently. A quote, word from God, unquote. From the prophet today may or may not be completely correct. Okay, that's that's what the cessationist would say. Now, part of this has already been addressed in in what we said before. However, the cessationist would assume would assume that all prophecy resulted in scripture. We know this isn't correct simply by reading First Corinthians chapter 14. Write it down. First Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. Paul says this, he, he says that if prophecy is spoke in a church gathering to an unbeliever, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will know that God is among you. As a matter of fact, turn to that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I think this is, this is a good one to look up. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 24 and 25. 1 Corinthians 14, by the way, Paul lists... Many of the gifts in chapter twelve, and then in in chapter thirteen, he talks about love and how those gifts are applied. Chapter fourteen, he's going in with the Corinthian church, and he's he's dealing with some problems. He's dealing with how they do this in church, okay? But now he's talking about prophecy, and and in uh, in. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25 say this, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters into the, into the service, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. See, that's the application of prophecy. It says the secret of his heart is disclosed. Okay, there were other prophets in the New Testament as well. What of the four unmarried daughters of Philip, the evangelist? Okay, in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, there were prophets that did not result in Scripture. Okay, And remember, Paul just said, he said to the Corinthian church, when an unbeliever comes in and they hear this prophecy from people, their hearts are opened up and they fall under conviction. That didn't result in Scripture. The Scripture says there were prophets, but yet none of their prophecies were recorded in Scripture. Just as there were differences within the type of apostles... Some writing scripture, some not. Foundational and secondary. There are differences in prophecy between that which was written as scripture and other prophecy illuminating life for the purpose of edifying Jesus Christ. See, prophecy today is personal application. Prophecy today is how does the word apply to my life personally. Going to Nigeria, for instance. Okay, how does, how does Matthew 28 apply to my life personally, going to all the world? Making disciples, right? How do I apply that personally in my life? That is an application of the gift of prophecy today. So number five, and I'll, I'll read this because this one I found, but we've kind of already answered this. Number five from, from the cessationists is the testimony of church history. The practice of the apostolic gifts declines even during the lifetimes of the apostles. They are mentioned less and less in later writings. Okay? The parameters of this, now that, that's what the cessationist says. And, and really, in reality, the parameters of this have really been covered in previous statements. However, remember the recorded declining of the gifts does not mean they actually declined in the lives of the original apostles. Just because you see a declination of gifts of, say, healings, okay, of prophecy of this and that, in the latter writings of Paul, doesn't mean they weren't there. And we know, we know in John that, that it says with Jesus, if, if they were to write all the things that he did, all the miracles, signs and wonders that he did... The the world couldn't hold the volumes of books. So the same because remember I, I said last week that in John chapter uh, fourteen that that Jesus said if you believe to all who believe you will do not only my works you will do more than what I did. Okay, so the declination in of, of gifts in scripture of, of maybe healings or prophecy or, or whatever. Whatever you see in there does not mean that it didn't happen. Paul was dealing with different things in his epistles. So were the other writers in their epistles. Number six, the sufficiency of scripture. And this this is number six, what the cessationists would say. The spirit only speaks in and through the inspired word of God. He doesn't call or direct people through subjective messages. His word is external to us and objective. The gifts ended with the completion of the canon of Scripture. Once the word of God was complete, we no longer have need of the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, I am in full agreement that the canonized Scripture is completely sufficient to guide us, to direct our lives for every need that we have, every desire that we have to to know the Lord intimately. However, please know that by not understanding the correct application of the gifts of the Spirit, you are risking taking the very power out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, that's an important point. Everything is in the Word of God that we know, but what what if we treat it just like a history book? What if we treat it just that is information that we can through control, lead our lives. As a matter of fact, I can lead my life to where other people look into my life and I look pretty good. But yet I can control my life. I can do what I want, but as long as I'm following these specific parameters that are laid out in the Word of God, people are going to think that I am have this vibrant relationship with, with God. But you know what? That's not what Jesus says. He said that people will see, if you love me, if you have a relationship with Christ that's this vibrant one, what happens? His love permeates every part of you. His love flows through you and people see that. That's the fruits of the Spirit. When, when we live for Jesus Christ and we're not just doing it out of this, this manual, but we actually let this manual come alive and let it speak to us. Because it's the Holy Spirit who God breathed it in the first place speaks to our lives. When he does that, it shines through us. Now we're not just list, living by a set of rules that somebody can look and see, oh yeah, they're a good person. They, they, they live a good life, you know, they're following Christ. Now they can look at us and see, wow, I, I don't even see them. I see Jesus Christ because I see such passion in their life for a relationship with Him that opens up the doors for Him to speak through them, not for us to speak ourselves. You can't do that without interaction. Try to build a relationship with your spouse or a best friend or whatever your relationship is that's your closest relationship. Try to build that relationship Without talking to them. Or without them talking to you. Try to build a relationship where they just give you a list of letters of things that, that they want. And things that they, they know that is needed to happen. Try to build a relationship with them in that. See, you're going to find you can only go so far. Can you build a relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can have a relationship with my wife, know what her needs are, know what she, she feels at the time that she writes something down. However, but without that verbal interaction with her, it cuts the closeness out. Do you see, with Jesus Christ, it's the same way. We worship Him, and you can worship Jesus Christ almost as an idol. Wow, if you worship him and he's up there, it's no different. You're following a set of rules. See, it has to be right here. It has to be in your heart. When you follow him from your heart, you have interaction. When you follow him from your heart, there's relationship. See, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You can't do that without him being real in your life. Does it mean you're not saved? No. I was saved when I was nine years old. Never lost it. Praise God. Can't even give it away if I wanted to. However, I did not have or understand the relationship, the interaction, the back and forth that the very God of this universe wanted to have with me. And the first time that happened humbled me. It blew me away. It blew me away to know that he was so intimately interested in me that he would talk to me, that he would prove himself in his God-inspired breathing word. More than just a manual, more than just a history book that was by God he showed me this relationship that he wanted to have. Number six, cessationists would say, the sufficiency of scripture. The spirit only speaks in and through the inspired word of God. He doesn't call or direct people through subjective messages. His word, did I just read this one? Oops. Okay, we can edit that one on the tape. Number seven. Wow, we are, we are actually to number seven. This is awesome. Number seven cessationists would say the New Testament governed the miraculous gifts. In Paul's day, he laid out specific rules that were to be followed where tongues and prophecy were practiced. There was to be order and structure as well as an interpreter. Now, by the way, I want to tell you, I'm in complete agreement with that. And what they're saying is, in in Paul's day, Paul laid out this this reason to, to have order in the gifts. What I struggle with is in the writing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and these problems they were having, that was a kind of a messed up church, but yet a church after God. Okay. But what I have trouble with is that Paul's saying that, well, this is only for the next few years because, you know, 30 years from now it's not going to matter. You know, after, after I die and a few of the others die, it's not going to matter. So just take this part for right now. I have a hard time that that doesn't apply to today, first and foremost. But I am in complete agreement that there are specific rules that we're to follow that he laid out in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 listed a plan for how the gifts were to be used for a healthy and godly church environment. There's not to be confusion with the gifts. They're always, always to point to Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because that is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lift up anybody else's name. He will always lift up the name of Jesus Christ. He will always point to Jesus Christ. But He will always do the will of the Father. So it will always point toward Jesus Christ. It's unfortunate that there are elements of the charismatic faith that have ignored and abused these parameters. You can't throw out the use of something ordained by God simply because it can be abused or used incorrectly. This is where teaching is important. And and this is the difference between teaching and control. And And I get it. I get it, especially from the pastoral position. I understand, wow, it would be so much easier if I could just give you folks a list of things that you need to do. And, and a tightened parameter of what you need to have in your personal relationship with Christ. It would be so much easier for me. Why? Because when we open it up to relationship, we there are things that are exposed You know, exposed in us, which is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But me as a pastor, okay, now I gotta deal with a hundred things that I wouldn't have to do if I could just give you a set of rules. So I understand where this thought of cessationism came from. You know, it was built as, as the church was built in the, in the early centuries. This thought process of control as it's getting big. Can you imagine if we had 3,000 people saved in one day? And by the way, that wasn't the only thing. Then, then on average, you know, they're, they're adding hundreds and thousands of people weekly. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to try to control that? And now all of a sudden these people have influence in that town, and these people have influence politically. So the people that had that influence to begin with, they had to have some way to control it. See, but God never... It it was never set up that way. It's supposed to be that God controls it in our lives. It's supposed to be that He is our King. It's supposed to be that we let him reign and speak to us and apply that to the word. So so I I get it. I, I get where cessationists are coming from, especially in this position. Because it'd be so much easier to control. Even my life, even my own personal life, it'd be so much easier to live by a list of things that I do and I don't do. And if I could just do that, then here's my prize. It'd be easier to do that. Because then my way of judging whether I'm doing it or not is if I did it or not. Completely cuts the heart out. See, you don't need the heart in that because it's all external. It's everything you need to do is external. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus looks at the heart. Do you love me? Okay, if you love me, he said to Peter, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. He didn't say, if you love me, give them grounders to live by and hold them tight to that so you don't have to worry about it. Now, see, it's my responsibility. It is your responsibility to invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to do that. Now we also have joy in doing that. I want to close here because remember last week we talked about the two verses that the cessationists use to say that, that uh, the gifts are not for today. Remember we talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 where it said when the perfect comes and I'm not going to go, take time to go through this. You pulled up last, last week's tape. But when the perfect comes then there's no more need. Okay, and they say that the perfect is the canonization of scripture. And we went through all that. The second one was that they said Revelation 22 that, that there's a curse if you add to this book. Okay, and we went through that too. Those were two references, the only two references, reasons out of the Word of God that I can find that isn't just a logical argument, but that I could find that cessationists say the gifts are not for today. Okay. However, and we've, and we've dealt with those and we dealt with the, the seven logical arguments that I could find. But what I want to do is, is really one final argument is, is more on a personal note. What can you say to somebody who has experienced the working of the Holy Spirit through these gifts? What do you say to them? What of the person who miraculously is healed before somebody dies? What do you say to that? Well, that that's fake. See, that's what I used to say. Oh, well, that was a plant. Okay, what happens if it's your best friend? What happens if it's you? What do you say to those people? Do you Do you say that every instance of that in the entire world is a plant and is fake? Well, see, if I were healed, let's say I was blind and I was made to see. I wouldn't listen to you. Why? Because it happened to me. Because it, it changed my life. The miracle happened. So what do you say? You can't say that it didn't happen. What about a prophetic word that somebody gives to a, on a personal level to someone that they don't even know, but it's absolutely true? See, this one did happen to me, and it's happened to me many, many, many times. Or somebody who I didn't even know. I, I remember the third time it ever happened to me. I was leading worship at church, and this lady was there. She was a guest, and it, you know, I, I saw her during the church. But she she came up to me afterwards, and she said, "I'm just here visiting my brother. He's not even saved." So I looked online to come to church, and this is where I came. And she said, "The Holy Spirit gave me a word to give to you this morning." Well, when she said that. It had happened a couple times prior to this, so I knew at least enough to listen. Well, what she began to say to me were things she couldn't possibly know. She's from Florida. She doesn't know me. I don't know her. She's saying things that were absolutely true of what was going on in my life. And then she converted that to then say things that were going to happen. See, what do you tell somebody in that case, that that prophecy is not real? Okay, well, that brings up questions. Because if that prophecy is not real, it really happened. That person really knew what was going on. So you have to attribute that to one of two things. That's either God or it's Satan. Right? Had to be something. She's not just a good guesser. Right? Right? had to be something. That's why the Lord gives us ways of testing the spirits. The Lord gives us ways of knowing who it is. He doesn't want to be coy when he speaks to you. He doesn't want to be, I'm going to say this and let's watch him squirm. Let him him wonder if it's really me or not. He gives us ways of knowing. But see, what do you say to somebody that that's happened to? Bottom line is there's no argument, biblical or logical, that would lead to the conclusion of the gifts of the Spirit that they've ceased. None. No biblical argument, no logical argument. But however, there is solid proof that the gifts are for today. And I want you to look at something. I want you to turn to Joel. Joel chapter 2. We're going to close with this. Joel chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 28 down through 32. Joel is prophesying about something that will happen in the future. Verse 28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those who the Lord calls. I want you to notice in verse 31, it says that these things, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. You'll see these signs and wonders, these dreams, these visions, these prophecies. You're going to see all this until when? It says in verse 31, until the awesome day of the Lord comes. That is a specific day. That is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns triumphantly to reign on earth. That hasn't happened yet. In fact, that happens after the tribulation. That happens after we're gone. Okay, But I wanted you to notice that that's Joel's prophecy. Is that this is going to happen until the day of the Lord. Okay, so let's look at this, because you could say, well, we're not, we're not in the end days yet. We're not in the end days. So yeah, that's going to happen. That's going to happen in Revelation. You know, when 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 the tribulation happens, that's definitely going to happen. Okay, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read 14 to 21. This is when they they were remember we just we talked about earlier there at Pentecost and and the Holy Spirit fell and everything else okay and and I just want to read this this part here because now Peter is going to explain what's happening but Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his, his voice and addressed them men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he goes to quote Joel, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. Okay, and all the way down to 20, until the day of the Lord comes. See, Peter recognized... That he was in the last days. The last days began right there at Pentecost. With the beginning of the church. So you can't say that it's going to happen only in the tribulation. See, Joel, who was a prophet, that prophet was scripture. So that prophecy is true, correct. It is starting in the last days and ending with the coming of the Lord. Peter uses that, again, in Scripture, uses that as the explanation of what was happening. Why? Because they entered into the last days of Pentecost. That last dispensation, the church age, is what began then. It's going to keep going until the Lord returns. See, the Spirit being poured out on all flesh applies to today. I don't know, as a cessationist, how you get around those verses. How you say that it's not for today, when Joel said, and Peter confirmed, it is. I don't know how you get around those. And then take that to understand that it happens all the time. People are healed all the time. Prophecies are made all the time. That was a world I wasn't familiar with until two years ago. But the Lord has opened my eyes so much to this. And it all fits in with what the Word says. See, I had to be blind in order to not not believe it. My eyes had to be covered with these deceptive lenses to not believe it. Why? Because Satan wanted them to be. The last thing Satan wants is a Christian to be used by God. See, it doesn't really hurt him, somebody who just conforms themselves to some rules. But it's when the Holy Spirit lives and breathes and has relationship through a believer that there is power. That very power that the Holy Spirit brings. It's by our heads.